Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. How many of you had a very, very busy week? Kids, first week back at school. Anybody? You just, just one person? That was it? All right. Uh, you guys pray for me afterwards then. <laughs> I'm just glad, I'm just glad to be here. We're, we're so glad that you're here tonight though and God bless you guys. We love you so much. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, I did have a busy week because my daughter started high school this week. I have a high school cheerleader. Oh my gosh. I need a lot of, I need a lot of prayer. Cheered at her first game last night, but anyways. All right, I'm gonna start off with a joke here. And we'll see how this goes. So we might take a poll after, after this joke. This might not be told on Sunday, but here you go, Saturday night. You, you can stop playing the romantic music, Gary. I don't feel it's appropriate for this joke. Thank you so much. Give Gary a round of applause. Thank you, Gary, you're released. It's not, it's not gonna help this joke, I don't think. Blonde woman decides to try horseback riding even though she had never had lessons or any prior experience, and so she mounts the horse unassisted, and the horse immediately springs into motion, and gallops at a steady and rhythmic pace, but the blonde begins to slip from the saddle. In terror, she grabs for the horse's mane, but cannot seem to get a firm grip, and so she tries to throw her arms around the horse's neck, but slides down to the horse anyway, and the horse keeps galloping along, seemingly impervious and unaware of its slipping rider. Finally giving up her frail grip, she leaps away from the horse to try and throw herself to safety, but unfortunately her foot had become entangled in the stirrup and she is now at the mercy of the horse's pounding hooves as her head is struck against the ground again and again and again. As her head is battered against the ground, she is mere moments away from unconsciousness when to her great fortune... The Walmart manager runs out and unplugs a horse. <laughs> okay. All right. I, well, this is serious right now, okay? This is important. This is going to affect tomorrow's service. By a show of hands, John, you should absolutely tell that joke tomorrow. By a show of hands, yes. Okay. All right. John, you absolutely should not tell that joke tomorrow. Shame on you for even thinking that was appropriate. Absolutely not. Raise your hand. Dan Brooks has two hands up. Oh, my gosh. All right. You got to try sometimes. Well, we're starting a new series today called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. How Jesus defines happiness. The Blessed Life. How Jesus defines happiness. We're going to focus on what are called the, the Beatitudes. It's actually not a word in the Bible, but it's a name given to what we're going to read tonight, the Beatitudes, which, which comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Now, the Sermon on the Mount was uh, very likely uh, probably not the first sermon that Jesus preached, However, it was and is the first sermon that the Holy Spirit chose to record in the New Testament. 
And it's also the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. And I would, you know, argue or I believe that it is the greatest and most important sermon that anyone has ever preached. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude means happy or blessed. This is a serious question. Come on, how many of you wanna live a blessed and happy life? Raise your hand, okay? The other option is a miserable and terrible life, so hopefully you do, okay? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. And uh, as we read this tonight, I wanna ask you to, to, to do two things. One is that I want you to try to hear it if you can. Try to hear it as if this is the first time that you are ever hearing these words. For some of you, it might be the first time, which is good. But for some of us, we'd be fairly familiar with this passage. And then the other thing that I'd like to ask you to do is every time we get to the word blessed, I want you to say it out loud, okay? And you'll see it nine times in this passage. In fact, go ahead and stand your feet with me if you would. We often, uh, I like to uh, stand as we read the word of God together. There's nothing more powerful than God's word. And let me pray first and then we'll read it. Father, we thank you for the power and the truth of your word, and especially the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're gonna focus on here for the next couple of weeks. Lord, speak to us, teach us, let these words get into our heart and bring change and transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter five, verse starting in verse one, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he, referring to Jesus, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed, come on, <laughs> we'll try that again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, whether or not you like it, God wants you to be happy, and then you can be seated. Come on, tell somebody. Whether you like it or not, God wants you to be Happy. I, I hope you noticed, <laughs> I hope you noticed and picked up on as we read that passage that each of those statements begins with the word blessed. In the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, the Greek word is makarios, and it means blessed, or it can also be translated as happy. It, it doesn't mean blessed, in the sense of you have a lot of things or a lot of stuff. There's a, there's a different word that's used for that. That's not what it means here. It actually has nothing to do with 
uh, our external circumstances or possessions. It's not like, you know, if, if I have a lot of money, then I'm happy. And if I don't, then I'm not. Or if the weather's good and it's not too hot, I'm happy. And if the weather's bad, I'm not happy. It's not, if the Dodgers win, I'm happy. Come on, they've been winning a lot recently too, by the way. Isn't that good? And if they don't, I'm not. If I'm an Angels fan, I'm probably never happy. They're never winning. <laughs> they're, rarely, they're rarely winning. Our joy comes and goes with circumstances. That's, that's not what the word means there in the text. The word makarios in the Greek, it means that there is an internal joy that the world cannot give you and that circumstances cannot change. Let me say it a different way. It is a happiness on the inside of you. That's what Jesus is talking about here in this text. And what he says to his followers, what he says to us, to the people of God, is that we are supposed to have something inside of us that is so deep on the inside of us, we are supposed to have a joy and a happiness that no matter what is happening in our world or in your world specifically, we are still joyful and we're happy. There is an internal joy of the Lord. Let me just point out how radical and countercultural Jesus' words here are compared to how the world defines happiness. If you were to Google or ask somebody, what does it mean to be happy? You would get all kinds of answers. The world defines happiness. The world says you'll be happy if you have more money. Jesus says you'll be happy if you're poor in spirit. The world says you'll be happy if you have a bigger house. Jesus says you'll be happy if you mourn. The world says you'll be happy if you have a nicer car. Jesus says you'll be happy if you're meek. The world says you'll be happy if you get more education. Jesus says you'll be happy if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. The world says you'll be happy if you get a new spouse. And then you get a new spouse, and she's worse than your first one. <laughs> Jesus says, you'll be happy if you're merciful. The world says, you'll be happy if you're rich and famous. By the way, if that were true, then why do the rich and famous keep killing themselves? Jesus says, you'll be happy if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Come on, that is absolutely contrary to how people think and what people believe today. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life, he says, everything the world has to offer is vanity. It is emptiness. The reason is that happiness, true happiness, is a spiritual need, and you can't meet a spiritual need with a natural resource. Nothing on this earth can make you truly happy. And so Jesus' statements, the Beatitudes, reveal where true happiness comes from. Blessed or happy, each of them begins. He teaches that joy is found in the most unlikely ways. He calls us to live in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, which has a completely countercultural value system where circumstances can't take our joy away 
because true happiness comes from God. Somebody say amen. All right, I'm gonna try to preach tonight. I know it's Saturday night. I don't like a quiet church, all right? I just preached at the Dream Center on Thursday night and people were literally jumping up and shouting. You don't have to do that, but I'm gonna preach to you tonight. The quieter you get, the longer I'm gonna preach, okay? All right, I'm, gonna, I'm doing my best. It's my, I'm getting familiar with the message, but Saturday night needs to be a little bit more loud than a Presbyterian church. We're not a Presbyterian church. We're a Pentecostal church last time I checked. Not only are Jesus' words contrary to what the world says, but they're also contrary to how religion defines happiness. Because religion often says that God is angry and mad at you. But that's not true, men and women. God is a happy God. <laughs> he is a happy God. 1 Timothy 1.11 says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, that's the word makarios, happy God, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. God is supremely happy in himself and he wants you to be happy too. In fact, open up your Bible again. Go with me now. If you're in Matthew, I want you to go to the left just a little bit. Go to the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Look at this. Malachi chapter four, verse six. This is the last book of the Old Testament what does the very last word say in Malachi chapter four, verse six? This is not a trick question. What does it say? Curse. Listen, the last word of the last book of the Old Testament in the last sentence is the word curse. The first word in the first sentence in the first sermon that is recorded in the New Testament is blessed. You know what Jesus is saying when he starts the Sermon on the Mount? He's saying, there's a new sheriff in town. You no longer live under the old covenant, under the Old Testament. You don't have to, you don't have to be perfect. None of you could be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to receive the blessing of God and his happiness in your life. I'm gonna do that for you. I'm gonna be perfect. And I'm gonna give you the bless, blessing and happiness that comes from God. That's the Beatitudes. Happiness doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from religion. It comes from God. And Jesus' statements in the Beatitudes, they show us the potential of what can be ours. You notice how each statement ends with, for they or for theirs. Blessed, and then he makes his name, and it's for they or for theirs, he says. If I were to ask you the question, what is the gospel? Probably, at least some of us would say, Jesus came to die on the cross and save me from my sins. That is absolutely true. That is true, but it's not complete. If this were a math test, you'd get partial credit, not full credit, okay? Jesus did not just come to save us from our sins. Jesus came to heal our pain. Jesus came to restore our marriage. Jesus came to transform our heart. Jesus came to put purpose in our life. Jesus came to fill us with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and to use the gifts that he created us with for his glory. Jesus came to give us a joy that goes beyond anything that you could possibly imagine or experience on your own. Too many people are saved and they're going to heaven. God loves them. 
but they are not experiencing and realizing the fullness that God has for their lives. Religion asks the question, what does God require from me? And that's a good question, by the way, because God does require some things from us. He says, do these things and don't do those things. But the real question is not what does God require from me, but what has God provided for me? And men and women, he has provided everything that we need through his son, Jesus. Each of the Beatitudes ends with the promise of what can be yours in your life. And, and we start with Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the title of my message is The Poor in Spirit Are Happy. This is the first and arguably the most important of the, of the Beatitudes because I don't think that you can have any of the others if you don't have this one first. In fact, I won't take time tonight, but I think there's a reason that Jesus said these in the order that he did. He said, blessed are. Notice that that's not a wish or a hope. Jesus is not wishing or hoping that the poor in spirit are blessed. He is making, in this statement and all of the other statements, he is making a divine pronouncement of truth. He is stating a fact. And notice that the language is present tense. Blessed are, for theirs is. Not theirs will be someday, but theirs is. Because when we become poor in spirit, we immediately begin to partake and experience the kingdom of God in our lives. In fact, at one point, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you because wherever the king is, the kingdom is, and Jesus lives in us. There's two uh, words in the Greek for poor. One of the words means that you don't have enough. That's not the word that Jesus uses here. The other word for, for poor, the word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter five, verse three, it means that you have absolutely nothing at all. That you are completely and totally destitute. It's the word that is used for begging, the begging poor, somebody who's physically handicapped or who's blind that cannot, cannot walk, cannot work. All they can do is beg. Listen to me, church. And if someone doesn't come and have mercy on them, if someone doesn't show compassion or love to them, if someone doesn't come by and help them, if someone doesn't come and give them something, then they will die. That's the word that Jesus uses right there for poor. And this, men and women, this is how you and I are spiritually. Jesus is not talking about physical po poverty. He is addressing spiritual poverty. In fact, you could translate that verse this way. Blessed and happy is the person who realizes they are completely destitute and utterly helpless. One who realizes their absolute need for God. The New Living Translation says it this, translates it this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, the happiest people are the ones who recognize and understand that they stand before God totally 
spiritually bankrupt. And when they do, then you can receive everything that God has for you. See, the problem in America is that we don't realize how poor we are. Because compared to 99.5% of the rest of the world, we are unbelievably blessed. Most people in the world would trade places with you on your worst day in a heartbeat. They wouldn't even think twice about it. It's one of the main reasons, by the way, that at some point in your life, if you haven't yet, you, you need to go on a mission trip. You need to get out of the United States, you need to go to a third world country, and you need to get around some people who have a whole lot less than you, but are a whole lot more happy than you are. And I know, because I've been to some places, I've been to Africa in the bush with little kids out there that have one set of clothes, are lucky to get one meal of a day, and are, and are happier than just about anybody that I've met. And they're running around, and they're laughing, and they're smiling, and they're playing soccer, and they're singing worship songs to Jesus. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones that are happy and supremely blessed. You don't have as much as you think you have. You and I, we are completely helpless and destitute and needy. And when you realize that all the things that you need come only from God, then we can be blessed. Rick Warren says, you'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. In fact, turn with me now to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter three, Revelation is the only prophetic book in, in the New Testament and the first couple chapters begin with Jesus and his resurrected and glorified body appearing to the apostle John who had been one of his closest friends before he was crucified and, and resurrected and Jesus comes and he gives a message to the seven churches and this is to the church in Laodicea, and these are applicable to us today. Revelation chapter three, verse 15. Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> Jesus isn't very vague in that passage, is he? <laughs> that's, that's pretty clear. By the way, I looked up what the word vomit means in the Greek. It means vomit. <laughs> it means throw up. Jesus is talking to you and I. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to his church. He's talking to people who go to church, who believe in him. And he's talking about, don't be lukewarm. Lukewarmness is an attitude that says, I have everything that I need. I don't really need God. And the ultimate deception is to believe that you need nothing when you need everything. To think that you have everything when you have nothing. Because apart from Jesus, we have nothing and we are nothing. When you get to the place you recognize that Jesus is all you need, then you'll be blessed. Then you'll be happy. You'll be the happiest person you know. I wanna give you here now four reasons I'm poor in spirit in what Jesus gives to me. 
This will encourage you. Four reasons I'm poor in spirit in what Jesus gives to me. Number one, without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. Without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. Some people think they have a role in their own salvation, that if they just go to church enough, if they give enough, if they serve enough, if they say, you know, God, I'm sorry for my sins. By the way, just saying that you're sorry for your sins is not what brings forgiveness. God doesn't say, thanks, thanks for, for trying so hard to be a good spiritual person, and since you said you're sorry, I forgive you. That's not how it works. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only payment that is accepted for sin, men and women, is death. Sin has a bill attached to it, and it is death. And someone, someone had to pay for your sin and my sin. Some people think that hell is a place that God sends people because he's mad at them. That's wrong. Hell is a place that people end up because they're paying the price for their own sins. Jesus took our place and he died for us. He paid the price with his own blood and then he came into our lives and gave us the gift of eternal life. Because of Jesus, I have the gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Listen to this passage, Ephesians chapter two. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Mercy is not getting what you really deserve. <laughs> and grace is getting something you don't really deserve. And when you realize because of my sin and my selfishness, because of my rebellion against God, I owe a debt that I could never, ever pay no matter how hard I try, but Jesus stepped in and paid it for me. When you realize that, men and women, then there's no room for pride in your life. There's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for self-centeredness. There's no, there's no room to feel religious and judgmental towards others. That's when you begin to realize a joy and a happiness that comes from the Lord. Because you realize everything that Christ has done for you. Jesus at one point says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. But he who thinks he's been forgiven little loves little. Some of you think, why are these people so excited when they come and they sing these songs? Because <laughs> they know what Jesus has done for them. What he's done for me. I love that old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He paid it all, he paid all of it. Number two, without Jesus, I can only deal with my pain and brokenness on my own. Without Jesus, I can only deal with my pain and my brokenness on my own pain of our past, the pain of abuse, pain of terrible things that people have done to us, the pain of bad choices that we've made, the pain of 
generations of dysfunction in our family and the brokenness in our soul as a result. Some of you think my dad was an alcoholic, my grandpa was an alcoholic, so I guess I'm an alcoholic. Some people think I was born this way, I'll never change. Some people think I'll always be this way. Some people think I'll never get past this pain. Well, left to yourself, you won't. Jeremiah 6.14 says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. Men and women, this is not what God has for you. You and I are not meant to go through life hurting and broken. Because of Jesus, I can be healed and transformed by his power. Psalm 147 verse three says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, healing their pain and comforting their sorrow. Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, hang in there, buddy, just tough it out. (laughs) Here's a Band-Aid with a Ninja Turtle on it, good luck. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I have come to heal you. I have come to set you free. I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. I have come so that in me you may have peace, not as the world gives. I have come so that in me you may have joy and your joy may be full. Come on, somebody. He can heal any hurt. He he can change any heart. He can transform any life. Jesus said in 2 Corinthians, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes into our lives and begins to transform us and change us and make us more like him. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, what he produces in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the only way that we receive these things in our life, the only way that we receive the kingdom of God in our life is when we realize, I can't do it on my own. When you're poor in spirit. That's what Jesus says in John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, that means remains in close personal relationship with me. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Number three, without Jesus, I'm trying to find and create my own life. Without Jesus, I'm trying to find and create my own life. One of the main questions that people ask, especially young people, especially young adults ask, is what am I supposed to do with my life? (laughs) And the world tells you that you're just a cosmic accident of protoplasm that was floating around in a scum pond and you grew some hair and a tail and wiggled around a little bit and jumped out of that and then jumped into the ice age and then your tail fell off and... Then your hair came back in certain parts of your body anyways, and, and now you, here you are as a human being, from goo to the zoo to you. you know, that's what the world tells you. You're just an accident. Man, well, that's crazy. It takes more faith to believe in that nonsense than it does to believe that there is an eternally existent, all-powerful, unconditionally loving God who knows you and created you and formed you in your mother's womb with an awesome plan and purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope 
in a future? This is not a trick question. Who knows the plans for your life, men and women? Who knows? Come on, God. He's the one who knows. You'll never know the purpose for your life until you know the author of your life. You can't figure it out on your own, but because of Jesus, I can know who I am and what my life is all about. I can know who I am and what my life is all about. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you give up your life for me, for Jesus, you will find it. So when you surrender your life to the Lord and you say, God, I have nothing on my own, I need you, then you begin to discover his plan and his purpose for your life. God has placed you on the planet at this time, 2022, for such a time as this. There's a reason. There's a reason you come from the family of origin that you come to. There's a reason the color of your skin is what it is. There's a reason you have the gifts and abilities that you have. There's a reason why he's placed you on this side of the world, men and women. He knows the plans that he has for your life. And the last point is this. Without Jesus, I'm living my life for joys that ultimately mean nothing and quickly fade away. Without Jesus, I'm living my life for joys that ultimately mean nothing and quickly fade away. I, I love a good Mexican food meal. I love Mexican food. It's my favorite, favorite food. <laughs> but the joy of that lasts only for a few minutes. I love football, and I'm glad that it's football season <laughs> and that it's back. And I feel bad for you if you're a Raiders fan. <laughs> But a football game only lasts three to three and a half hours and then the joy's gone. I love going on vacation with Jenny and with my kids. But after a few days or a week, the joy of the vacation fades away. And then you have the pain of paying it off for a couple of weeks after that, right? Because of Jesus, I can have the joy of living a life that glorifies God and impacts others for eternity. That's real joy. Jesus said in John 15, verse 11 and 12, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The most blessed and happy people on the planet are those who know Jesus and love and serve other people who are impacting people's lives for eternity, who don't live selfish, self-centered, self-righteous lives, but who live totally surrendered to Jesus and live for the cause of Christ, who realize that they are poor in spirit. That's why Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, because he was poor in spirit, realized that without Christ, I have nothing. I am nothing, I have nothing. Men and women who recognize that they're completely destitute, utterly helpless, and realize their absolute need for God. What's the main idea of the first beatitude? It's simple. The happiest people in the world are those who say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe I should have just said that. That would have saved us 30 minutes. <laughs> Jesus, I need you. Let's Let's pray. In fact, just close your eyes for a moment.
And if you'd like to, you could maybe just put one of your hands on your heart. Would you just say that, that phrase out loud with me? Jesus, I need you. Come on, let's say that together. Jesus, I need you. We need you. Lord, we recognize that we're completely, utterly spiritually destitute and helpless without you. More than anything else in this world, we need you and we want you. You are the true source of, of joy and happiness. Lord, you are the one who gives us a blessed life. Let the fullness of your kingdom be received in our lives. Let it grow. Let it expand every single day that you would increase, that we would decrease. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in our lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can open up your eyes. Men and women, (laughs) maybe you're watching online tonight, you're here, but I mean, pretty clearly I told you Jesus paid the price for your sins. I'm just like you. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Your greatest need, my greatest need is salvation. And it's not anything that you can do on your own. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. That's what the cross is all about. God sent his son who came and he stepped in our place. He died in our place, in your place, in my place. He paid the price that we could never pay. And he paid it with his own blood sinless, perfect, holy blood, shed his blood on the cross. Why? Because he loves you. To bring you into relationship with God, to give you the kind of life that God intended and created you to live. And then he rose from the dead three days later. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. The powers of hell are defeated for you and for I. But listen, you have to receive it. That's why it says, we just read Ephesians 2, salvation is a gift. You don't earn a gift, you receive a gift. If it's Chris Costello's birthday, he doesn't need to earn his birthday gift, I just give it to him. (laughs) I ought to give you a birthday gift too, by the way, probably. You receive it, you have to receive salvation. He's done everything, God's done everything he needs to do, but you have to receive it. You can receive it or you can reject it. The choice is yours. If you receive it, everything changes. And the kingdom of God comes into your life because the king comes into your life. And you begin to experience abundant and eternal life. And if you reject it, you're on your own. You can live however you want to live because God's given you free will. But when you die, men and women, there's consequences for that as well. Because if you've rejected God's invitation your entire life, the Bible says that you're separated from him for all of eternity in hell. God didn't create hell for you or for me. He created for Satan, for his demons. But if you say, God, I don't want you in my life, then why would you want him for all eternity if you never wanted him now? You made your own decision. Heaven is your home, men and women. You were created to know God and live forever with him in the most unimaginable happiness and joy that we could ever experience. And, uh, but you gotta make your own decision. You gotta make your own decision. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you've you prayed a prayer, but you're not living for the Lord at all. You, you walked away. You're living life. You know, you're doing your own thing. God's nowhere in your mind, and you need to come back to him. The Bible calls that to repent. Turn around, change your thinking. Say, God, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. I, 
I want to, I want you in my life. I need you in my life. I don't want to live this way anymore. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me a new person. He's so willing to do that. And only he can do that. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. And I just want to give you that opportunity right now before we close. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Just close your eyes one more time, if you would. And just for the gift of privacy, maybe you're here tonight and say, John, that's me. I've never made that decision before. I, I've walked away from the Lord, but I, I want to come back to him tonight. I, I won't embarrass you. I won't, I'm not going to call you forward tonight, but we'll pray with you and for you in just a moment. But I, I want to see you and agree with you in prayer because there's power in agreement. Jesus says that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. So I want to give you that opportunity right now. Say, John, that's me. I'm ready to make this decision. Give my life to the Lord. Surrender my life to the Lord. Say, Jesus, come in. Save me. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand wherever you are. I see you. Look at me in the back. I see you, friend. I think I, I know you. That's my, I know who you are. I know your name, too. Praise God. Anybody else here tonight? So good. Look at me for a moment, friend. Luke 15, you can read it later when you go home. When one, one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. And uh, God loves you. God loves you. I don't know what's going on. Probably a recommitment for you, but if you're sincere in your heart, then you can know that you're forgiven. You can know from this moment on, you're saved. You don't have to earn your salvation. I, I feel prompted to share this with you. Stop trying to earn it. Earn yourself. Don't just stop. Receive what Jesus has done for you, okay? Don't, you don't need to live under guilt or condemnation anymore. God loves you. You're going you're gonna to walk out of here assured. Read the book of 1 John when you go home. You can know that in these things you have eternal life because of Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him. I, I, feel, I feel this is a word from the Lord. You can tell me later if I'm wrong. I feel this is a word from You don't need to live under religious condemnation anymore. You're going to walk out of here free, okay? I, I'm pretty sure it's a recommitment for you. So I want to lead us all in a prayer of salvation just in support of our, our friend here tonight. And uh, would you just repeat this prayer after me, a phrase at a time. Let's, let's repeat this out loud. Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all my sin. I know that you paid it all. And I can't earn it. And I don't deserve it. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for making me your own. Make me a new person. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate that? Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.